0: If you're spending more than, let's say, four hours a week in the gym, you are wasting time you could be spending with friends, family, other interests, other career choices, et cetera. So while it is extremely interesting and is an amazing hobby, um, it is addictive and, and, and it is ego-driven narcissism a lot of the time. And uh, and you need to realize you can get really, really good results training three times a week for an hour you can get exceptional results with more but you can get really really good results with just that amount of time you have to always step back and kind of think about why you're doing this right so it's just like any other craft is the amount of time you spend into it has to be used efficiently and always remember time you are investing into it is time you could have been investing in other things that may last longer than your body
1: Listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm Trevor Algott.
2: And I'm AJ Meyer. And in episode 308, we bring you the third and final part of Trev's conversation with the godfather of the modern intermittent fasting movement, nutrition and sports science writer Brad Pilon. In part three, Brad chats specifically about how much protein our bodies really need and also use and what the science says about how to get the most gains with a z (laughs) from your workouts it's another deep dive and we think you'll find it truly enlightening episode 3-8 coming at you stay with us
1: Support for this episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal Pro, the current version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors, which is now available in the iOS App Store. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, make stronger and bolder choices, and do a bunch more... Go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now, where you can learn all about the great, really useful, and really valuable new features in this newest version of Rehearsal, the groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors that will help you book the office every single time. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. Good morrow,
2: Sir Trevor of the Algets.
1: Morning, my friend. How, how are you doing over there in uh, your part of town?
2: In <laughs> my part of town? Uh, good. Things are starting to heat up. Yeah, it's getting hot out. Yeah, and we don't have AC in our building, so mm. spring and summertime are always, uh, yeah, always an interesting um, exercise in trying not to overheat. But uh, yeah, hopefully I'll be able to get out of town a little bit. Uh, here and there, get some altitude. That's what I always loved. To-
1: yeah, you were just recently out of town. Again.
2: <laughs> yeah, again. And goodbye. Um, <clears throat> we did a performance, uh, a JWT performance in Palm Desert. And I used it as an excuse to, <sighs> great excuse, to go to uh, Joshua Tree National Park, um, which I have spent time in before. Uh, but never backpacking Um, and I so I did like a quick overnight in the southern um, half of the park which is sort of the less uh, traveled or less busy less touristy side of the national park all the Joshua trees themselves and a lot of the big rocks and stuff are in the northern half of the park so that's where uh, most of the traffic happens so um, not only was there not a lot of traffic but there was zero people on the trail, not a single person. As soon as from the time I left the trailhead um, to the time I got back to the trailhead, I saw uh, no other
1: humans. Wow. How long were you there?
2: Uh, just to, like less than 24 hours. I mean, because I, I didn't, I wasn't able to, because we had another show the morning before, I wasn't able to get on the trail until like four o'clock. So only have only had about three hours of daylight. And so I took my time and I probably only did about four miles in and four miles out, something like that. So, and, you know, we had the performance the next day as well. So I had about the same amount of hiking time the night before and the the next morning. So, yeah, so like less than 24 hours.
1: So you were up in that area for a performance and then in between – the first performance and the second performance, you drove to Joshua Tree, did a four-mile hike in each direction, or four – yeah, four miles-ish in each direction, slept in the park, and then went back and did another show? Yeah. All by yourself? Yeah. Badass.
2: <laughs> the uh, the first show was actually in L.A. That's why I didn't get on the trail until late. So the, the first one, I drove um, from L.A. to Joshua Tree and then – got on the trail and that's why it was so late in the afternoon but it was it was gorgeous and i can't wait to go back and explore some some other areas of the park
1: that's good to know too that the south part of the park is largely um i don't know tourist free camper free hiker free um, so if you're looking for a little more solitude there you go people there's a there's a great sort of part of the park in here in socal to check out
2: yeah a little southern california pro tip enter from the cottonwood springs uh side of the park the southern entrance
1: Okay, that's good to know. I actually might be going up there in a few weeks with my brother for our semi-annual uh, Joshua Tree camping trip for my birthday. So I, I will keep that in mind. Do
2: it, man. That would be a great. I mean, it's beautiful there right now. Like the weather is just perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's like eighty something during the day and fifty at night or something like that. I I didn't even I sort of slept without a without a sleeping bag or a quilt. Like I, I didn't have anything on me. It was
1: amazing. That's so cool, man. Right on. So this is all prep for, um, sort of larger, longer upcoming hikes and, and excursions in the, in the wilderness for you.
2: Yeah. As, as often and as much as I can trail, I am, um, I don't know if she wants me to talk about this actually. Jasmine has a really cool opportunity coming up in late summer that will take her out of town for, um, a little over a week. And, um, I want her to have her own experience. So I'm just going to use it as an excuse to go on my own excursion <clears throat> somewhere. Um, and so I'm thinking about, this is gonna be like late August, early September, and I'm trying to figure out like what, where, where I want to go, what trail I want to do, um, et cetera. So I'm thinking maybe like either the high Sierra trail or, um, a big loop in, um, Going back to like Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Park, which is where we went last, last August, obviously tons of options. Um, you know, California is like just such a beautiful landscape. And th- there are so many things that are within easy striking distance of, of Los Angeles, you know, three hours, four hours drive of L.A. So um, not sure exactly where, but I know something it's coming for sure.
1: That's great. So I'm going to ask you this question just totally off the cuff before oh, we move on. Uh, One of those, the Trevor. Like, Trevor. Well, like, how has your vision for your life evolved over the years? Because, and I guess I'm asking this question because I know for me, uh, you know, it used to be very much like I want to be in the city. I want to be around where things are happening. You know, I I, I want to be very plugged in. To a cabin in the woods by the lake sounds great. And I'm increasingly kind of like, I don't think I want to be around people like, you know, these dense metropolis areas as much as as much as I did before. I I see myself more as like a a cabin by the lake kind of guy. And I'm curious if that is sort of um, something that that if this 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 sort of um, I know you've always been camping and always been um, very into, you know, hiking and and the wilderness and nature. But you're, you're doing a lot more of it now than you used to. And I'm wondering if that has if your vision for your future has changed.
2: Yeah, it's definitely it's a great question actually and it's it is definitely affecting my 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 interest and um call to nature has um has definitely shifted some things and affected my overall vision for my life. I I don't know, you know, where things are going to lead me. I'm just sort of like following my passions right now, acting is still very much a part of who I am. And I, you know, like you, like we talked about, what was it, like a month or two ago about, you know, if you were to book a series regular and made 70 grand an episode and like had a really awesome job for a long time, like would would that, you know, be a lifestyle you could get used to? Like, of course. Um, and I'm still pursuing it and still doing, I wouldn't say the bare minimum, but I'm doing enough to kind of keep my acting career lively. But I shared with Jasmine something very personal just last night, actually, after listening to that podcast that you recommended, Trevor, um, the interview with, uh, on the Rich Roll podcast with, uh, Jared, what's his last name? Jared, the the guy from the EPA.
1: Oh, Um, yeah. Jared Blumenthal.
2: <laughs> yeah. I I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be one of those people who goes on one of these big, long, epic four, five, six-month through hikes and then just ruins their life because they can't come back to, as you said, like a bustling metropolitan area. And so I kind of shared that with Jasmine. And I was like, I hope you're okay with going and living in a cabin in the woods by a lake kind of thing. Like we may need to go somewhere that's not here so that we, so that I have an easier time sort of reintegrating. Yeah. Um. And I don't know if you remember last year when Jasmine went to her um, 10 day Vipassana silent meditation retreat, but one of the people that she met there was this woman who signed up for it because she had done the PCT and was having a really hard time reintegrating. If having so much solitude and time to kind of hash things out, I feel like it could potentially change. I mean, it has to change one's life if you make the choice to do that, of course. But the way in which I think it might affect my life is is it, it, it could potentially lead me in the direction that you're talking about, which is like a cabin in the lake by by the you know a cabin in the woods by lake. I feel like that's another reason why the whole hashtag and life thing has been so appealing is the simplification of one's life. Like Jared said in, in the interview, there was something very gratifying about the fact like it made him so happy that everything he could ever need was sitting in a backpack on his back. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, everything I could ever need could be in a van you know, with like a bed and a and somewhere to cook. And like, that's it. What what else do I do I really need? And so um, it's been this really weird experience, like looking around my even my own, you know, modest home, we have a we live in a one bedroom, it's not that much bigger than I mean, it's huge by New York standards. But, um, you know, looking around at all of my stuff, too. And we've purged multiple times, we've done the whole Marie Kondo thing. And I'm just like, Do I really need this stuff? Like, why why are there so many notebooks in here? (laughs) Uh, You know, that kind of stuff. So it's an interesting question. And damn, it's a deep rabbit hole. Like, we could spend hours just talking about this. This this could be a whole other podcast called, you know, the minimalist mountain man, you know, uh, living in the woods kind of, you know, podcast, in which case it wouldn't be a podcast at all because the whole idea of having a podcast, I'm sitting in front of this microphone with this, you know, 15 inch computer and blah, blah, blah. Like even this, the creation of this piece of media um, isn't necessarily minimalistic. So anyway, it's um, yeah, something is happening and um, I just get to acknowledge that and kind of figure it out. Work has been hard too. on the same note like going into something that is so um, stimulating yeah on so many different levels with so many different people and I'm like yeah I just have some I've been having a hard time there too
1: I remember I used to do those those annual trips to Vermont to Lake Champlain with my family we don't do those anymore for various reasons but uh, we would go for two two and a half weeks or so and it was great we would we had these old cabins for people who don't know which would be everybody except you, AJ. There were these old, like, 100-plus-year-old cabins on uh, this strip of land right on the shores of Lake Champlain on a tiny island called Grand I- Grand Isle uh, in Lake Champlain, you know, in Vermont. And we would take off our watches, and we would just exist as a family, as a, as a group of people. We would just exist and wake up when we were done sleeping and eat when we were hungry and go to bed when we were tired. And it was just so great. It was so quiet. All, the only soundtrack was really, like, the sound of, like, the lake. I mean, occasionally we'd go into town and get food and stuff, but these are tiny little, you know, towns. And I remember one year coming back from, like, two and a half weeks of that and jumping back into my job at Apple where I was working with you at the time and needing, like, three days to reacclimate because the world we live in is so incredibly noisy and busy and... Uh, completely just nuts when you when you realize like what the alternative can be. And I, I think about this a lot. I think about what is the ideal environment for humans, like what is going to nurture our spirit uh, in in the deepest way. And I, I increasingly come down on the side of, you know, Vermont, Lake Champlain, like just removing stimulus from our lives as much as possible. And it reminds me of a story that I read in one of Tom Hartman's books, uh, I think it was the last hours of ancient sunlight. He talks about you know the Europeans coming over from um, from Spain to conquer the Americas and encountering the natives and all that and there was a lot of warring and stuff going on, and the natives obviously lost that battle very quickly in large part due to disease and not not having the necessary immunity but a big A big part of that was occasionally they would swap prisoners, so you know they 'd have these skirmishes, and some Europeans would be taken prisoners by the natives and vice versa. And I I think it was this book, it might have been another book, but I remember him talking or somebody talking about how when the, when it came time to sort of retrieve your prisoners from the other person's party, none of the Europeans wanted to go back to the, the European side. They wanted to stay with the natives. They were so like nurtured and nourished by this, this closer to nature lifestyle that uh, that they didn't mm-hmm. want to leave, so they would actually beg to stay as prisoners of the natives, uh, and it wasn't the same from what I understand from the the native side. So I, I'm just I read this in a book somewhere that I can't even remember. So if somebody knows more about this and would like to share more detail, I'd love to hear it. Uh, I hope I'm not misremembering that, but I find that to be a really romantic, but also for me at least very true notion that you know what, I think we live in a really hyper stimulated world. And I don't think it's terribly natural or good for human beings to constantly be exposed to that. And the older I get, the more I'm like, I'm more, the more quickly I'm worn out by all the the craziness that we have in our society. And I really opt for those long stretches of silent time. Um, Sometimes, if it just needs to be in my apartment, like, great, I just need that time to recharge. And, and I think that that's, Fairly normal for human beings to to need that kind of thing, and when we numb ourselves out from that by constantly being plugged in, which is so easy these days, uh, I, I just wonder: are we harming ourselves in some intellectually, emotionally, spiritual way uh, mm. that, that's less easy to identify than you know a broken arm or a broken leg? That's some crazy historical context. Isn't it? And I remember in this book there was like a sketch that accompanied the the story about this. And it was a sketch that some European, you know, settler drew uh of of like the the prisoner like clawing onto like on his knees, like clawing onto the natives as the the two parties are standing there trying to swap prisoners. The European was like, "Please don't take me back. I want to stay." Uh it's really pretty nuts when you think about it. And, and I, I think the older people get, uh, you know, the, the saying is that the older you get, the, the more you appreciate nature and the arts. And I find that to be very true. And I wonder um, if that's sort of our, our true, um, I don't know, disposition as human beings to, to connect with these things which, which are so timeless. And, you know, the latest piece of technology is great and technology has done wonderful things for our lives, but it's so fleeting And it's so busy it's so stimulating maybe uh what we're really programmed for and designed for and calibrated for is is the simple the simplest stuff that's been around forever which is you know just lots of immersion with the animals and the trees and the environment and the water the air and uh you know storytelling Hmm. simple storytelling with other human beings preferably in person
2: well, now you're, now you're, now you got my gears turning as to how to combine
1: those things. <laughs> Shakespeare in Joshua tree. There it is.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I've always, I will, I've auditioned for them only once, but I have always loved the idea of going up to Ashland and, um, working for O shakes for a season. Cause you, you are in that sort of environment, um, and getting to perform some, some amazing theater. So there is that yeah all right well like i said deep 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 rabbit hole and um we uh don't necessarily have time on this episode but it's an ongoing conversation um that i would love to keep having with you and with anyone else If anyone else is feeling similarly
1: feel free to reach out to uh, one or both of us Uh, or the podcast I would love to hear from our listeners on this especially because it it is in my experience simply a a product of getting older it seems to be universal uh, a universal feeling more or less among people who are you know in our sort of age uh, demographic or bracket like we're starting to sort of gravitate towards being old people and it's really nice it's really rich but when i was in my 20s man if you had told me i would i would say these things i would be like what (laughs) what (laughs) uh and i I find myself uh increasingly able to identify the this, this schism as it were between uh that younger version of myself and i see it in other people and then the older version of myself which i also see in people but but um, mm. interesting, right? It's interesting stuff. So, we we want to give a quick shout out thank you to Ann Bell, who joined us with a yearly gift to help keep uh, the Inside Acting Podcast episodes online for all to enjoy. Thank you so much, Ann, for your gift. We really, really, really appreciate it. And of course, we want to make sure we give some love to VO2Gogo.com. You want to take this one, AJ?
2: Yeah. What is VO2Gogo? Is that. Is that the award-winning voiceover training system? And winner of Backstage's Readers Choice Award for best VO training four years in a row? Yes, that's right. That's that's that thing. Visit VO2Gogo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO the number two gogo.com slash start.
1: It is good stuff. Good stuff if you're looking to diversify your acting portfolio and income. Um, I am biased obviously, but, uh, check it out. vo slash start. Uh, I think that's all the time we have before we jump into this, uh, third part of our chat with, with Brad, anything you wanted to add before we, we boogie in? No, sir. I'm really excited to hear this. I said, boogie in, boogie in,
2: um, <laughs> we boogie in, Let's boogie into his internet. Yeah.
1: We're gonna boogie in. There you go, everybody. That's a weird visual, but, uh, enjoy this third part uh, of my conversation with Brad ...who is probably one of my favorite guests and favorite people. I just found him to be so approachable, so accessible, so real. And his work, if you haven't read his books, is very, very thorough. Uh, It's hard to argue with the mass of research that this guy has done on these different topics. So, in part three today, we talk specifically about protein, which I know everybody's wondering about. Everybody wants to know how much protein we should be eating... And uh, we had some interesting conversation about this because I eat a lot lot less protein than he recommends, and I'm doing fine. So we talk a little bit about how the body uh, uses and adapts to protein intake, as well as uh, a few different kinds of protein um, that you can be uh, consuming. And then uh, we also talk about periodization and how to really optimize your workout to get the most gains in the least amount of time. And, of course, it's all lots of science research, nerdy stuff, which is right up my alley. So I hope you guys enjoy it, too. We'll catch you on the other side. davis and he he wrote a book called proteinaholic and that sort of got me thinking about the whole protein thing and uh and then i haven't read your your book uh, incomplete yet uh, how much protein mostly to be honest because i'm convinced now that it's really a non-issue the, the, our obsession with protein is, is almost like just a big distraction from just eat high-quality foods. Uh, but could you sum up uh, maybe how much protein and then also maybe a little bit of your philosophy with uh, Pilon's Progressions?
0: Okay, so how much protein is really fun. How much protein basically yeah, – I'll, I'll give it away for everybody. It's, it's roughly 90 to 150 grams of protein a day for muscle building. 90 to
1: 150?
0: I hundred and twenty, and the only reason I allowed up to hundred and fifty is I occasionally get the six foot six or eight guy emailing me like, "What about me?" I'm like, well, <laughs> well, <laughs> "All right, all right, fine." I'm five ten. <laughs> screw you. What about you? Stole two inches from me. That's right, what. He, right. but, uh, yeah. So I ninety to hundred twenty for just about everybody, but I give that caveat of like, you know, if you're a five foot one woman, maybe seventy. If you're a six foot eight guy, okay, fine, hundred and fifty. But like, let's be realistic here. And what I've found is that the amazing human body that we've talked about for almost this entire thing uh, habitualizes to an intake of protein right so if you consistently eat 65 grams of protein and you look the way you do it's because your body has learned a balance of breakdown and and build up with 65 grams if you increase from 65 while working out let's say you jump up to 120 you're gonna see some some growth and then your body is going to get used to 120. Because that's just your new number that maintains you. And then let's say you jump from there to 240. Well, the same thing is going to happen. And then 300, like just your body keeps getting used to an amount. And then you just keep trying to drive it up with more protein. It just becomes a constantly upward swing. So the amount, like it's funny, I'm going to word it this way. So my research on that came in 90 to 120. A lot of that was done um, in the early 80s and, uh, and 90s, right? Now the numbers are coming out higher. But most protein research on athletes is done on university-aged kids. And I'm convinced kids, sorry, university-aged adults. And I'm convinced that most of them now know about protein. They're already eating more. So what research is finding out is you need a bit more. And I guarantee you in 10 years now, if if, if as a society we're all eating 150 grams of protein, like just as a daily intake, Research will say, well, 200. And then if we get to 200, it's going to say 250 because it really is a non-issue because these spikes are just, they're the percent change that matters, I think, not maybe the absolute amount. Otherwise, we just all eat 800 grams of protein and never stop growing and end up looking like the incredible So There's obvious stops in there because I can eat 10 times the protein of someone. Like someone who eats 60, I could steak and protein shake my weight is 600. It would be horrible and i would be incredibly gassy but i could do it i'm not going to have 10 times the muscle of that person right that's what that's what it it just it breaks down to being non-linear like that whereas it seems to be most people can gain and appreciate and a noticeable amount of muscle in that kind of just a little bit more protein so let's aim for that
1: yeah and, and not all protein is created equal I mean, you've got really some some super you know non-bioavailable protein shakes on the market that just kind of don't really – your body can't really do anything with them. It can't break them down to their constituent parts. Then you've got really high-quality proteins like hemp protein, which from what I understand is incredibly bioavailable and has all the essential amino acids.
0: Never tried hemp. Is it good? Uh, it's a little
1: grassy, but yeah. I, I find that um, – I I actually, for me, it's interesting that you said, you know, when you said 90 to 150, I was like, really? Um, I I top out around 60 or 70 grams of protein a day. And I'm a six foot, 175 pound male who works out six days a week. And that seems kind of on the low side. But I think since I base most of my protein on like super, like, you know, uh, I, I, you know, from what I believe, bioavailable protein sources like hemp that I don't need as much because my body is just able to use that.
0: It's, I'm working um, with a grad student right now who's looking at that exactly because what we're, what we're thinking is, okay, if you're used to, let's say everybody eats 90 grams of, of protein and then you go into a study and some people get to eat 120, but then the other people are put at a base level of 60. One group's going to gain and the other group's going to lose because of that abrupt change. But if you took a group of people who normally eat 90 grams of protein and over the course of two months slowly lowered them down to 60, would you see any change? Or does their body just get used to using the protein that's been given to it? And that's why I think that someone like you, you know if you're used to 60, 65, it's, I mean, it's not like you're losing muscle every day. Right? Yeah, so, um, okay. <laughs> exactly. So, and in, in fact, I would I'd wonder if, if someone who's used to 60, then you know once or twice a year it's like i'm gonna try to gain some muscle and you jump it up to 80 and then 100 and then then stop you know and then maybe slowly bring it back down would that be more anabolic because the percent change is bigger than someone who's used to eating 250 grams of protein every day and jumps to 300 and even though it's 50 more grams of protein the percent change is smaller right so there's still lots of questions i mean i've I'll be honest, I almost refuse to discuss protein anymore because everybody wants to talk about how many, all scientists right now are doing the whole, I shouldn't say all, the majority, are doing the whole um, X grams of protein per pound of body weight. And my, my thought there is, if the amount of protein you eat for muscle growth is dictated by the amount of lean body mass you have, why the hell are we talking about weight? I mean... It, you can't tell me here. Here's three big gentlemen who are all 250 pounds of uh, body weight. How much lean mass they have? Again, like, wildly different, right? Wildly different. And so, for me to think that all three of those gentlemen need 250 grams of protein is, is just ridiculous. I mean, the I would almost argue that protein based off of height makes more sense because at least height is a better indicator of lean mass than body weight right so it just breaks down to you know um i don't under there's so many fundamental questions that we haven't answered is your protein intake uh dictated by your lean body mass yes or no if so if yes then why the hell are we talking about body weight and if not, then what is it dictated by? Is it just 60 grams for everybody regardless of your size? Like it, so there's, it's really weird, there's these fundamental questions that are kind of missing that then make discussing it really hard. So all I know is that you know, most people seem to do well with these normal amounts. Anybody who increases their protein from whatever number to an increase, tend to see results they brag about online for the first couple of weeks and then they disappear. <laughs> and and i know people who eat 300 400 grams of protein a day and if you go on instagram and you're like wow and you look exactly the same now as you did in 2012 so i don't what why are you doing this right like so it's just good just one of the things i'm like again right back down to it we just do food you'll you'll be all right right yeah
1: it comes back to that that zen saying yeah yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I've been reading, um, uh, rereading a book called Thrive by a guy named Brendan Brazier. And yeah, okay. Have you heard of him? Or I've heard his of.
0: Work? I know Brendan. I know of Brendan, and I've heard of Thrive. Have not read it.
1: Oh, it's it's a uh, it, it's a. It's awesome, uh, and he talks a lot about you know nutritional stress uh, and how you know eating oftentimes is a re- is probably one of the most taxing things the body does. And so his whole like pr- you know uh, nutritional philosophy focuses on eating those those foods that are the most easily assimilated by the body. And there's a bit in there about protein and how it's really just a bunch of amino acids that need to be sort of disassembled and then reassembled in the body for it to be used. And so the harder your body has to work to do that stuff the the less sort of energy you're going to have at the end of the day once everything is said and done
0: what was I, i'm going to mess up the numbers and i think it was uh a facebook post by dr Stu phillips out of mac but he was saying like i'm going to say 10 percent of the protein you eat becomes available to your muscle and the majority of it's your gut and then the, the second majority Is there such a thing? It goes to other processes, but such a minor amount goes to your muscle, and it kind of got me thinking too. I'm like, if you're eating so much protein that you're the guy who clears a 2,000 square foot gym, like just clears it because of your gas, like (laughs) that that can't be cool. That can't be good for your body. There is a reason, like that that when you're like, oh my god, that smells so horrible, I want to puke. Like that, that's kind of an indication that something's not cool with you right so that was just i mean I, again i'm just going by really anecdotal kind of childlike common sense but if it doubles you over in pain and you stink really bad maybe it's not something you want to do
1: yeah yeah at the end of the day it's, it's a journey of just listening to your body right
0: yeah uh, <laughs> and it's ridiculous as people get so mad you saying that it's so true like it's yeah Yeah.
1: for me at least it was a long road of separating my ego from that voice inside that was like trevor enough (laughs) enough dude you know (laughs) like you don't need to look like this person you don't need to eat like this person you don't need to you know stand up and fight for such and such just be you and that was a long road then now i'm in my late 30s and i'm finally i think starting to live that a little more um but easier said than done uh Real quickly before we let you go, Pilon's progressions. Can you give Ah, us a primer on on your philosophy
0: there? Yeah, okay. So this is really fun. You have your weight workouts, and this is predominantly a weight workout philosophy, is you have these volume, which is how much work you do in a workout. You have frequency, or how often you work out, and you have intensity, or or how hard, typically how heavy it is you work out. And I just had such a hard time working with these numbers being like well which one is it and how can one be more important to the other and how do you even disassociate them this is this is probably wrong because if the answer is just more volume makes you bigger then you're like okay well then i'm just going to go for a walk and my legs should be my <laughs> right. you're like, Well, no because it has to be past a certain intensity i'm like well then it can't be a law if you've got caveats so is it intensity can i just do one rep maxes of bench every so often and then I grow. And like, no, because it needs to be some volume. I'm like, oh, my God, this is, this is really frustrating, guys. I'm like, well, is it just frequency? Can I do it every day? They're like, no, because there has to be some intensity involved. I'm like, oh, okay. Let's stop and move back. And what I did was I looked at the equations you would use to predict your, your one rep max on any, es- in any exercise. So your estimated one rep max. And then I plugged every possible weight and rep range I could think of into just giant algorithm, right? Just giant spreadsheets. So literally, you know, one side is reps. I think I did like five through 14, something like that. I, I forget. There was a reason five through 15 and then weights from like zero all the way up to like 700 pounds. And then I did the estimated one rep calculation and I got there your E1RM and it was, Basically, this snake-like thing of different weights and reps that worked at an estimated one rep max. I'm going to grab it. It's like a two-second walk to my gym. So what you end up with is just variable weights and reps, but a very slow-moving estimated one rep max. So the page I just took down, I actually taped them up on my wall in the gym is an estimated one rep max starting at 144 pounds. So you would do, to get that, 120 pounds for six reps. Let's say this is squat. Well, then your next set, you want to do a slightly higher estimated one rep max. In this case, 145.6 pounds. That's 115 pounds, so a lower weight on the bar, but for eight reps.
1: Oh, I see. Interesting.
0: Sometimes you're, you're... the, the reps are going down. So, reps on this page, the reps go you know, to a set of six, a set of eight, a set of 10, a set of 12, a set of seven, a set of nine, a set of six. So, the reps are all over the place. Sometimes they drop down to five, sometimes they're up to 14. And the weight does the same thing. Some days you're going to the gym and you're doing a bunch of sets. You know, you might be doing a set of um, 13 with 105 pounds, then your very next set would be a set of eight at 120 pounds. But the one rep max estimation is always creeping up slowly. So over the course of weeks, the amount of weight and the amount of reps you're using just sort of always equal to a higher effort, a higher estimated one rep max, a higher ability to do more in that measurement. And it was a way for me to figure it all out. It's like, there's my progression. That's all I really care about. If my estimated one rep max is going up, eventually my weight, that I'm using will just as on average go up and the reps you know there's going to be low rep days and high rep days but the load will eventually just also increase so everything kind of plays in that way where you know it might be scary to go from 110 pounds for 12 reps and then realize holy crap my next set is 125 pounds for seven reps Even though that's a lot less reps, man, that that sounds like a lot more weight. But then you look over at the SA one rep max, and 110 for 12 is 154. 125 for seven is 154.16. Oh, okay, hold on. I've got, you know, basically 0.16 in me. I can do Hmm. this. Hmm. And so it makes it a bit easier. And so what I've been doing is literally I've got this chart up on my wall, the the chart that's in Pilon's progressions. When I do a set, I just cross it off. And then I do the next set, and I cross it off. And I only do about two or three in a workout. I don't want to increase my one rep max by more than like a pound, pound and a half in a workout. And then – the next week I just start off with the next one and so over the course of almost a year now like I've worked my way down through considerable pages and it always seems to work out you get stuck every once in a while and then you know you you play around with maybe the other exercises you're doing that aren't progressions that are just kind of you getting some work in or practicing something but in general for almost every lift I've done it just sort of keeps on trucking and the amount of, oh my God, I can't believe I just said keeps on trucking, but it it (laughs) keeps on progressing, right? And then, you know, it seems again, mundane and boring until like six months later when you're sitting there going like, oh, I've actually averaged increasing this lift, you know, a bit more than almost two pounds a week, you know, maybe it was like a pound and a quarter, but over the course of a year, I've added 60 pounds on to a squat. And, uh, and, you know, someone who's been squatting for a long time and has always sucked at squatting, that's pretty good, right? So it was just a way for me to – I needed a way to be able to measure effort and not some sort of like, well, that was a 7 out of 10 effort, but literally be like that was an estimated one rep max of 140. Like I I should be able to slap 140 pounds on the bar and get it, Hmm. right? So it was a way for me to – standardized effort and show constant improvement but make the constant improvement small enough I know it I could do it for for long period of time and that's what so pilon progressions is an explanation of that math the reason behind it and then it's just a giant volume of charts that you can apply to any lift you're trying to do it, it's pro, it's typically better for barbell type stuff I haven't quite perfected it for like dumbbells but on any major barbell type lift, so it, it it is really, really worked out. I mean it's the the one thing I've done that I've I've been able to last for almost a year and three months now on and then still be progressing.
1: That's awesome. You know, that's really intrinsically motivating and you could conceivably just take these charts to the gym and set up right by a bench press and right by a squat rack and maybe a chin-up bar or something. And then just fill in the blanks for how, how long would you say you you, you invest in this in a, on a weekly basis? How many hours?
0: I'm a, I'm a right now I'm a three times a week, maybe forty five minutes, and that's with I, I'm a big rest guy. I like to kind of sit around doing nothing. For it. So it, it's not a lot of work. But my view is if I'm consistently improving within a variety of rep ranges. I'm getting strong at six reps, I'm getting strong at eight reps, and I'm getting strong at 12 reps, then I must be doing something right.
1: Mm. I feel like your work really covers all the bases. You've got like the mindsets, you've got like the diet, you've got the protein, you've got the, you know, the, the, I know you don't like this word, but the holistic sort of approach to air quality, uh, you've got the workout. I mean, it's really a pretty comprehensive body of work you've built. And what I like about it is that it's all so simple and there's no crazy supplement that I need to buy or (laughs) become dependent on. I'm I'm so over the supplement thing, man. I'm just convinced that it's a, a, mostly a racket, to be honest
0: well it's exactly what it was named they're supposed to be supplemental right, right so right. Okay, protein here's a protein shake right so they're they're supplements they're not magic right so yeah yeah yeah, yeah I, it just needs to be simple enough that i can understand it i go really really deep and i pull back and i'm like do i actually understand what's going on and if so how would i explain it to a room full of people and that's that's how books come
1: out. Well that's and that's such a gift. That's such a gift to have to, to be able to go deep and do the research and then go like, okay, like how do I condense this for like people who just don't have the interest or the time or the energy or the capacity, mental capacity to, you know, stomach all this. What what can I, how can I present this to them? And you do that so beautifully. I mean, you've got these great books that are just so chock full of like some of the most cutting edge research I've ever seen. And then you, you can sum it up in a sentence or two.
0: Yeah, the, the, that's t- typically the goal, right? It's like, If I could make it so that a one-pager would suffice to give you the actual goal of it all and then explain it, then open it up and give you cool metaphors and analogies and actually show why that's the goal. And that's that's what I'm always trying to hit but I really appreciate the fact you noticed that.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I've, when I read eat, stop eat, that was like one of the first things I noticed. I was like, I love the science. This is great. I know most of my friends could care less about this. They just want to know what to do. Like what are the sort of, you know, quote unquote rules. And I was like, I could tell them in a, in a sentence or two and, and they could have great results as well. Uh, and so it's really just about the mind game and you, you tackle so much of that. And, I, I can't say enough good things about your work, Brad, and uh, I'm really grateful uh, that you took the time, especially this extra time, to, to chat with us today.
0: Oh, no worries, man. It's yeah. a lot of fun.
1: Okay, two final questions before I let you go, Brad. Uh, the, the first one, we ask this of all our guests, and we always get really fascinating uh, responses. So the first question is, did this path of, of nutrition and sports science, research, uh, writing, sharing, uh, did this choose you or did you choose it?
0: Wow, that's an awesome question. It chose me. So up until um, we do great high school in Kansas, grade 9, 10, 11, 12. We used to be OEC. So I don't know what sophomore. I don't know how it breaks down. But so by up until almost my last year of high school, I was going to go into the arts. I was going to go into photography um possibly graphic design that's that's what i like i was still enthralled with the human body but i liked that creative aspect of it um this was longer ago than i'd cared to admit so i had to sit down with my parents and uh, i was like hey if i'm going to graphic arts i need a computer and this is back when like not everybody had a computer again i, I feel old now right so but my parents are like well then you know you need to find $2,000 for the Atari or Commodore 64 you need to. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't have that. And back in the day, that wasn't the amount of money you'd make in a summer job or anything. So I was like, oh, that sucks. But I know, I know the future of, I like the, um, actually, medical illustration is what I wanted to go into by that time. I'm like, I know that if I don't know how to do this on the computer, I'll be far behind. And so I went from that, and my fascination with the human body and nutrition, et cetera, just happenstantly in, in my final year of high school, taking um, biology and OEC, I guess, final year, um, anatomy it was a separate course, kind of like in, in the phys ed realm, and I just excelled in those courses and it was really interesting because this is kind of ridiculous but it was those two plus my art marks that got me in the university into my nutrition program like if if it wasn't for you know painting photography and those two classes I don't I don't know if I would have even gotten in (laughs) so yeah so it was it was really interesting that you know this by having since I didn't get in the one area but in not getting in you know I, I sort of refocused on the other area but it's always been an interest I mean drawing was always you know you drew superheroes and to draw a superhero properly you need to know the ratios of a superhero right and then to draw the ratios of a superhero properly you need to know where the muscles went and how big they're supposed to be and then the difference between you know drawing spider-man versus drawing the hulk are two different things right so you have to get interested in that and then you know, you combine that with sort of a base understanding of biology and having your little mind perk up whenever the word protein was mentioned. And you're like, oh, okay, this all sort of fits together, right? It, it's the, I know I'd never make as a sculptor. So I went into, you know, working out instead.
1: <laughs> that, that's a trip. I had the same uh experience when I was in grade school. I would draw a lot of superheroes and muscle men and, and uh I, a lot of my friends would ask me they'd say how do you you know draw so well and i'd and i'd always say you you know like i was on my high horse i would always just say well you got to think about the way the human body works you got to think about how it's put together uh and i was really fascinated with that and i think that really informed my sort of hobby uh, in learning about you know health and fitness i think that's that's a trip that you had the same sort of oh in. yeah
0: Well, and even outside of the Hulk, I mean, you know, again, based on our age, most of these superhero movies, going back to like the old school Sylvester Stallone or the Jean-Claude Van Damme, they had a training montage. So you knew how they got superhero body. Even, you know, Captain America had the drugs, but it was still training montage-ish, right? So you knew that was the step one small skinny step three muscular solve your problems but you had a vague idea what step two was and that was the intriguing black box it really kind of dives a lot of us into it i think yeah
1: yeah man that's a trip uh last question for you before we let you go if you could impart One nugget of wisdom or knowledge or just something to pass along to somebody who's maybe walking this journey uh, alongside you or maybe behind you. What would that nugget of wisdom be?
0: Uh, Okay. So I'm going to go old man dad on you here. Bring it. And um, I'm going to kind of lay it out like this is unless you are an actor is a great example, an actor who requires it for a role. If you are a professional fitness model or if you're like me and are somehow making money off of health and fitness, if you're spending more than, let's say, four hours a week in the gym, you are wasting time you could be spending with friends, family, other interests, other career choices, etc. So while it is extremely interesting and is an amazing hobby, um, it is addictive and and, and it is ego driven narcissism a lot of the time and uh and you need to realize you can get really really good results training three times a week for an hour you can get exceptional results with more but you can get really really good results with just that amount of time so you have to always step back and kind of think about why you're doing this right so it's just like any other craft is the amount of time you spend into it has to be used efficiently and always remember time you are investing into it is time you could have been investing in other things that may last longer than your body so i and again i love i love working out like it's something i'm in my home office, and I'm staring at my gym in the basement. And it takes up a considerable portion of the the basement, despite everybody's misgivings about it. Right? Like it's it's part of who I am, but I do have to realize that I because it is in my basement, I can start a workout now, and I could finish it after the kids go to bed. Right? But instead of that, I'm you know I've actually I did my workout today. But on any other day, I would be done by two forty five, and I would pick the kids up from school, and I would hang out with them until. They go to bed and so it's just remembering that like it you know there are people who need to have amazing jobs for i mean, sorry amazing jobs amazing bodies for their job or for their career and it's important to stay healthy and it's important to like the body you're in but if you can get you know 90% of the results that are absolutely possible with your specific body right so you know if you have that your top level superhero body it's attainable for you if you can get 90% of the way there to the point where, you know, you make the other mums and dads or people in your groups jealous by your look, then maybe that extra 10% isn't worth the other eight hours of not just time in the gym, but mind space it's going to take. Right. And then if your entire life revolves around not only being in the gym, but then when you're home working out complex math problems of how many sets and reps you should do tomorrow, is that that is time that could be spent maybe doing other stuff. So embrace it and love it, but don't let it consume you.
1: Mm, mm, I love that. It's like the 80-20 rule, right? It's like focus yeah, on I, that that 20% that's going to get you 80% of your results and just invest the rest in the stuff that's really lasting. I, I love that. That's amazing. So if anybody can, uh, if they want to find out more about you, I know you're on the social medias. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just Brad Pelon, right? It's, and, and yeah, the- it's
0: my I'm, I'm ego driven narcissist, so it literally it's everywhere. It could be Brad Pelon, it is Brad Pelon. So my blog is Brad My Twitter is at Brad Pelon. My Instagram is Brad Pelon. So you can pretty much find me by typing in either eat stop eat or Brad Pelon in anything, and I'm the guy who pops up.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Your blog is is great. And I love getting your newsletter. Uh, There is some promotional content that you send out, but it's always like really interesting stuff. Uh, And I try to
0: make it clear. So if it says promotional then you know it's a promotion, right? And if it doesn't say that, you know it's me writing.
1: Yeah, yeah. but but the stuff that you do share that is promotional is always of value. It's always relevant. Yeah. It's always like, I find
0: interesting, Jen.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. So uh, really looking forward to getting this out to the world, to uh, getting more people um, on board with uh, a happier, healthier relationship to food and fitness, and in a very simple, approachable way. Brad, thank you again so much. This was really awesome, man. Really appreciate it.
0: Oh no, lots of fun, man. Thank
1: for having me.
2: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Bookends. Hope you enjoyed the entire series with Mr. Pilon. I know I did. Uh, I was telling Trevor before we started recording today that he's the kind of person, the kind of episode, the kind of interview where I just feel like I want to hang out with him. I just want to, like, go to Canada and just be like, hey, what's up, Brad? Let's chill. Let's, uh, you know, not eat some food together. <laughs> and, uh, let's fast together. No, he just like he just seems so cool. Um, so I really appreciate him uh, coming on the show, uh, spending so much time with us, and uh, and lending his his knowledge and his expertise. And um, what a cool interview for an acting podcast. How about how about them apples? We had that on our on our acting podcast. That's pretty amazing. Um, any final debrief or thoughts that you want to add here, Trevor?
1: I just The big takeaway for me, and this is a journey that I've been on, and Brad's work really kick it for me, is that it's just food. It is just food. Uh, we have a lot of conversations uh, in this industry about body image and attractiveness and marketability and branding and all these things that relate directly to, by extension, our relationship with the food we eat. And it can be a really miserable relationship that we build for ourselves when it comes to um, the sort of dichotomy of how do I make myself the most, you know, uh, um, marketable, quote unquote, marketable version of myself, but still live a rich, full life in which I'm mm. a human being that just gains weight, that loses weight, that enjoys food, that enjoys tradition, enjoys people. Uh, how do we do that? And so, you know, whether fasting is is a solution for you or not, uh, I hope that you take away, and I'm speaking to our listeners, not to you, AJ, well, to you as well. But I hope that you take away uh, that it's just food. It's just food and it's meant to be enjoyed. And it comes back to what Michael Pollan has written that just simplifies everything. Eat food, mostly vegetables, not too much. Not too much. And I know yeah. that's easier said than done. But if you find from time to time that you have this a moment of awareness where you just go, I need to not eat as much. Maybe a day or two of intermittent fasting that week can help. And maybe Brad's work can help inform how to do that effectively. Uh, and mm-hmm. then hopefully that will also help restore a healthy relationship with food and with your body and how that all, uh, works in this industry, which is so, so, so image centric sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that, that would be my, my big sort of summary of it. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it and, uh, it is yours for free to listen to whenever you like. So feel free to revisit it and check out Brad's work. Eat, stop, eat is a great book. <clears throat> how much protein is awesome. I haven't read good belly bad belly, but I have read some more on gut health and and some of the research that's going on around our microbiome and that's really fascinating stuff. So um his his work covers the the gamut, man. Check it out. And speaking of gut health, what is your pick of the week? My pick of the week is episode 353 of the Rich Roll podcast, which we have name-checked a few times in this episode now. And this specific episode is with a guy named Zach Bush. He's a medical doctor, and he talks uh, about GMOs, glyphosate, and healing your gut. And this is a deep dive. A lot of this was over my head when I listened to it, but it really opened my eyes to the toxins on our food and how it affects us long term. And it definitely convinced me to only buy organic. A lot of... People say, you know, oh, or it's organic. It, non-organic is fine. You know, if you can afford organic, that's all good. But what they're discovering many, many years down the line now from the introduction of some of these chemicals is that they are definitely bioaccumulating in the body and definitely causing... Um, Issues, uh, not only in the people that consume them, but in their offspring and their children. And so the rise in autism specifically uh, can be directly linked to the rise in the use of some of these chemicals, specifically stuff from, you know, Monsanto and these other food giants that have engineered our, our food to um, withstand, you know, massive dousing of of chemical um, pesticides and things like that so this conversation again is a deep dive into that kind of thing uh, as well as you know how all the stuff affects our gut which is uh, just this this incredible uh, uh, diversity of bacteria that informs everything from our mood to our cravings to how our body um, um, interacts with with uh, the food we eat like how those nutrients get shuttled around it, it's all about the gut bacteria so weight gain weight loss a lot of that stuff is responsible a lot of that stuff uh, is informed i should say by uh, the the bacteria that we feed in our gut and that goes directly into our diet and so we we really can reprogram ourselves by feeding the good bacteria and starving the bad bacteria uh, in our gut with our diet so it's it's really fascinating stuff my favorite interview on his podcast which is saying a lot because he's got a great podcast so check it out episode 353 of the Rich Roll podcast with Zach Bush. Link to that is on the, in the show notes of our website for this episode.
2: And Trevor was nice enough, um, <clears throat> loving enough, to think of me while listening to this podcast and sent me a couple of episodes recently. Uh, one with uh, that I mentioned earlier with uh, this uh, guy by the name of Jared Blumenthal, who uh, not only worked for the EPA, but when he stopped working for the EPA, he actually went and hiked uh, the PCT. Uh, Pacific Crest Trail, which um, stretches from the mex the United States border with Mexico and canada um, it's twenty six hundred ish miles and um, <clears throat> it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately um, and something that I definitely want to do and I was inspired to reconnect with my love of nature uh, last year after a camping trip with Trevor and learning about uh, a couple of these insane Rock climbers, including a gentleman by the name of Alex Hunold, who is the first and only person to free solo, meaning without any uh, safety equipment, ropes, harnesses, anything, the um, face of El Capitan in Yosemite Valley. Alex was on Rich Roll's podcast, and he talked about a foundation that he has started to um, raise awareness, money. And work, you know, action around uh, solar, solar energy, especially and specifically in areas that are poverty stricken, you know, don't have a lot of technology, basically in the middle of nowhere, especially in Africa and African countries, so Ethiopia, Angola, etc that my pick of the week is this uh, new foundation that he started actually started a few years ago um, called hunnoldfoundation.org. He also has a film coming out later this year, which I'm sure we're still on the air will be another pick of the week um, about his climb of El Capitan. And I have been thinking a lot about this journey of going on um, a hike uh, on the PCT and and not wanting it to be selfish, not wanting it to be s- like a lot of solitude or a singular thing that I'm just doing. And, and that's it. I want, I want it to have some kind of meaning. And so what I, what I was inspired to after listening to this episode, and I, I, I don't know what this is going to look like and I haven't yet reached out to them, but they do have a contact form on their website is I, I was I've been thinking a lot about, you know, hiking sort of in the name of an organization. And I think this is going to be it because it was Alex who, who, you know, his climb that sort of inspired me to, uh, again, get back into uh, nature and 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 start this whole crazy trip. Um, I'm, I'm currently on with backpacking, backcountry backpacking. And so what more fitting and poetic way to sort of bring it full circle than to, you know, do the PCT in the name of the Hunold foundation and see if there's a way that I can raise awareness and money in the way that you would, if you were doing like one of those walkathons in, you know, elementary school. I remember we used to do those. Like if you get people to sort of sign up and pledge a certain amount of money for every mile that you walked or whatever it was, or every step that you took, like a penny for every step that you took or something like that. So 2,600 plus miles, you know, maybe I could actually make a, make a, a difference. And not feel so uh, – I don't know what the word is. Selfish doesn't feel like the right word, but um, not feel like it's so singular in, in, um, in that pursuit of, of completing something like um, – as audacious as, uh, as the PCT. So if you go and check out their website, it's very simple, but it's great. They have a section on like what they're up to um, in, the, in, in the news, uh, what they're about, and then uh, a very simple sort of take action uh, where you can – page where you can donate – become a partner, sign up for their newsletter, et cetera. So um, that is my
1: uh, pick of the week. Awesome. And that's at honnoldfoundation.org, H-O-N-N-O-L-D, foundation.org. Uh, that is so cool. AJ, are you thinking of doing the PCT solo or would you have somebody join you?
2: Um, You kind of have to do it solo. Um, yeah. Anyone who has gone on um, one of these giant through hikes with someone ends up you don't always hike with them even if you're sharing shelter uh, meaning one of you has a tent and the other one does not and, and you sleep in the same tent like a, if it's a couple or a best friend or something like that you end up hiking separately a lot and then just sort of catching up um, when you get to a particular place just because you know people have different paces and um, styles and, and, you know, mileage that they want to cover in a particular day, things like that. So, so yeah, I, 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 it would be, yeah, it would be solo. I mean, you meet people on the trail and, and, um, you, you make connections, you make friends, etc. but it would be, um, by its very nature, uh, a solo expedition.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I... Sarah Beth Goer, long-time listener, sent me uh, a book called Wild by Cheryl Strayed. They made a movie out of it with Reese Witherspoon, and I read that, and that's a story about this woman who hikes the PCT, and I've been meaning to give it to you, AJ, but it, it does seem like the kind of thing that would be impossible to do with another person for the entirety of it. Like Here and there, you link up with people, but for the most part, it's got to be a solo thing. Yeah. And that's a long, that's a long commitment. I mean, that's several, several months of, of walking.
2: It's at least four, uh, it, It's you know, on average people finish it between four and six months um, because 2,600 miles, if you do a marathon, as Jared says in, on, on Rich's podcast, if you do, um, you know, a marathon's worth of tra- travel a day, that's still 100 days. Wow.
1: Epic. Uh, well, keep us posted on that. And that's so cool that, um, <clears throat> that you would... Uh, contribute uh, a lot of this to the Hunold Foundation Uh, love what they're doing over there at the Hunold Foundation by the way the solar initiatives are great so that is episode 353 of the Rich Roll podcast with Zach Bush uh, on GMOs glyphosate and healing the gut as well as the Hunold Foundation links to both of those are on our website along with everything else we talked about in this episode so if you'd like to take a deeper dive into some things that were discussed in episode 308 of Inside Acting be sure to Hit up our website, InsideActing.net. Anything else before we get out of here? No, sir. All right, guys. Today's episode was produced and hosted by me, Trevor Algott, and AJ Meyer. Team IAP also includes Jen Levin and Grace Gordon. Visit us online at InsideActing.net to sign up for our weekly
2: email dispatch. And listen to all of our episodes. We're on social media, of course, and pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts.
1: You can directly support Inside Acting with either a one-time financial contribution or an ongoing monthly contribution. Just visit us at InsideActing.net to learn more and help us keep this thing online for the foreseeable future.
2: And that is it for episode 308. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. And until then, boogie on we we'll